So let's just stop and ask God to help us as we come to his word now. Let's pray. Yahweh, you are our light and salvation. And we want to ask for your light for us this morning. We ask for light for our way. Father, we want to say that we love you and we want to know you more. And as we open your word now, will you help us? Holy Spirit, will you come and give us light for our eyes so that we can see Jesus through this word today? It's because of Jesus that we ask this. Amen. So we are back in Mark's gospel today. And as Rose, uh, oh, where's my clicker? Let's get this up. There we go. So as Rose started to explain last week, in this series, we're exploring some of the ways that Jesus reveals to us that God is surprising, as in not the way we thought. I think we all have certain perceptions and assumptions about God, things that we've accumulated over time and over our life's experiences, things that we've picked up along the way that have shaped our thinking and our perceptions about what God is like. But the thing is, if we want to know what God is like, we need to look at Jesus. And we need to keep coming back and looking at Jesus again, afresh. Jesus came in order to show us what God is like. To put flesh onto the things that he wants us to understand about him. And so over these coming weeks, we're going to be looking at some of the things that Jesus said and did that show us some things about God that challenge our human assumptions and are maybe a bit surprising through the words and actions of Jesus we have the opportunity to get a fresh look at God and what we know about him to see him with new eyes so in this time in this day when Jesus was doing this the people had some really serious preconceptions and misconceptions about God. Over time, their thinking and actually the religious teaching had become incredibly legalistic. The Pharisees, who we are going to meet today, they were the Jewish religious teachers, and they strongly believed that a person had to keep all the rules and regulations in order to please God, and therefore to obtain salvation. So the Pharisees knew the scriptures really well. They knew all of God's rules by heart. But what they'd done is they'd taken those rules several steps further. So let's say if the law for your donkey cart was maximum 30 miles per hour, they would say, well, really, you should only ever do 20, just to make sure. And actually, if you do go over 20, you are really a bad person. 
If the rule said your offering to God must be five pounds, they said, well, you really ought to make it 10 pounds just to make sure. If the rule said, don't touch someone who's got an infectious skin disease, they said, well, you shouldn't even speak to them or even go anywhere near them. And in fact, that better apply to anyone who's got any kind of sickness at all, not just the infectious kind, just to make sure. And so they'd taken the rules and they'd added on all these extra rules. And in their mind, it was so that no one would accidentally break a rule and trip up. But the effect it had was that it had put this huge, heavy burden of legalism onto ordinary people. And they were struggling under the weight of all these rules they were expected to keep or, or else they'd get judged as not good enough. Jesus came to set ordinary people free from all of that. Now, it's easy for us to feel superior to the Pharisees. Look how misguided they were. We're not. We know what Jesus came for. We've seen what Jesus said and did. But we need to understand that we are just as prone to falling into obvious traps. They may not be the same ones as them, but that doesn't mean there aren't any for us. And it doesn't mean that we're not just as liable to get our thinking skewed. So hence our journey through Mark this spring. A bit of spring cleaning is needed for all of us. I've got this um, wonderful cleaning cloth for my glasses. It's called an e-cloth and I love it. It's the best glasses cloth I've ever had because every day my glasses get a bit clogged up with dust and grease and goo. But when I give them a go with the e-cloth, it gets rid of all of that and I can see through them so much more clearly again and none of this blurry stuff. So let's read some scripture now. Today we're in Mark chapter 2. Uh, this is still very early in Jesus' story, where we're going today. He's still just starting out. He's already had one run-in with the Pharisees at the start of chapter 2. We are going to read from verse 13. Then Jesus went out to the lakeshore again and taught the crowds that were coming to him. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Levi got up and followed him. Later, Levi invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. There were many people of this kind among Jesus' followers. I love that it says that. Sinners and disreputable people. There were many of those in the people who followed Jesus. 
But when the teachers of religious law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with tax collectors and other sinners, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with such scum? When Jesus heard this, he told them, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. So here is Jesus breaking all the rules. If it seems like he's been setting himself up as he has, as someone who represents God, someone who speaks for God, then doing what he does here would completely undermine all of that. He's claiming to be some kind of prophet. Sometimes he seems to actually be claiming to be God, but now he's completely undermined himself and made a fool of himself by doing this, because this is something that God would never do. They thought. And so to understand why, we need a quick reminder of who Levi was. So at this time, this region was under occupation by the Roman Empire, and there was an occupying army, much like the occupation of France by the Nazis in the 1940s. The occupiers were hated. They were seen as the enemy, but they were too powerful for ordinary people to do much about. As a tax collector, Levi was a collaborator. He was a local person, he was one of them, but he was one of them who worked for Rome. He collected taxes for Rome, for the enemy. But there was a second level of loathing for people like him as well. Because local tax collectors like him were allowed to charge people whatever they liked. Rome set the total amount for that area that they expected to be sent to them. But the person collecting it could double that if they wanted to and keep the extra for themselves. It was stealing. It was extortion. The tax collector could be pushing their neighbours, the people who lived alongside them, pushing them into debtor's prison or into a kind of de facto slavery by demanding every penny of additional income they earned so that they could never advance anywhere or build a better life for their family. Family members might die because there was no money left for medical treatment. But the tax collectors weren't interested in that. The fact that Levi had a tax booth on the main street probably means that he wasn't particularly high up in the tax collectors rankings yet. He probably wasn't wealthy enough, not yet. 
to have a gated complex, a big house with high walls and strong gates to keep people away. He was probably still living amongst these people who he was bleeding dry. And as I was thinking about this this week, it feels like there's a bit of a gift in the news at the moment for me to illustrate attitudes towards people like Levi. I don't know how much you've followed of the post office inquiry that's going on at the moment. Maybe you've seen the ITV dramatization. But we've all been shocked and horrified by the apparent attitude of powerful people in the post office, post office bosses, Fujitsu bosses, who just seem to have been completely unaccountable to anyone in their treatment of ordinary working people. Ordinary people have had their lives ruined by the injustice perpetrated by people in powerful places. And there's no doubt in our minds that it just feels utterly immoral. Now imagine a local community with a much loved and respected postmaster or postmistress who's been hounded and trashed and ruined, their reputation in tatters. And imagine that the person who has done the hounding and trashing and ruining is living right there in that same community. The person who is responsible for so much harm and suffering and injustice. Everyone knows they're responsible. But no one's done anything to hold them to account. And whenever anyone's tried, they've been blocked just by the bigness of the system. That's the person who Jesus goes and has a meal with. That's the person to whom Jesus says, follow me. And goes and spends time socializing in their house with other post office and Fujitsu employees. Can you see how utterly outrageous and wrong it would have felt? Not just to the Pharisees, but to all the ordinary local people as well. They would have been outraged. This man who we've been following round and he's been doing amazing things and healing people and telling us about God, he's gone there to him? I think we must have been wrong about this guy. Even his own newly recruited disciples, they must have thought the same. They must have wondered if they'd got it wrong about this guy. Jesus is walking along the shore of the lake, teaching the people. And he sees this guy. He sees 
him. And the correct religious response would be to turn away and pretend he didn't exist. Treat him like something you've stepped in, if you treat him like anything at all. He is a sinner. But Jesus looks at him. And when Jesus looks at someone, when Jesus sees someone, he really sees them. He sees the whole of them. When Jesus looks at you, he really sees you. He sees everything about you. We don't know what he saw in Levi, but he sees something different to what everyone else sees. Because he looks directly at Levi in the eye and says, follow me. Maybe in the first instance that meant, follow me now, here, along the shore. Come and hear what I've got to say. We know that Levi did. We know that he got up there and then and went. But the bit that really causes the controversy comes later. Mark just says later. Sometime later, Jesus goes for dinner at Levi's house. And Levi has invited his friends. And of course, the only friends he's got in this community are the other people like him, his fellow tax collectors. And this is what gets the Pharisees in a spin. And to understand why, we need to understand a bit about how meals and hospitality worked in this society. To share a meal with someone, especially if you went to their house, that was to say that you accepted them as your equal. They had your respect and your acceptance. That's what going and sharing a meal with someone signaled. And in this society, people from different levels in society did not normally eat together, ever, for that reason. If people of different social standing did ever eat in the same house, people with different status would be put into different rooms and they would be served with a different quality of food according to their social ranking. And so for Jesus to go and share a meal with these people in Levi's house, to sit down with them, he wasn't only saying, I accept these people, I respect these people. He is saying, and I am one of them. What Jesus is communicating here that is fresh, 
and that was definitely fresh and shocking to them, was that with God, it's not about rules. It's not about how many rules a person has kept and how many they've broken. It's about what's in your heart. And we don't always like that. In many ways, we would much rather it was about keeping the rules because that's easy and it's clear and we know where we are. And we don't have to bother with any of that hard, messy, inconvenient stuff about what's on the inside. We just have to get it right on the outside. And no one else will see what's in here. We don't have to do all that humility stuff. For the Pharisees, in their world, in their paradigm, there are two types of people. There are people who are clearly sinners, who don't keep all the rules, who don't match up. And there are people who do keep the rules. Clearly, they are not sinners. But Jesus seems to think that there is one category. Sinners. And everyone's in that one. And then there are two subdivisions of that. Sinners who realize they are sinful. And sinners who think they are not. There are sinners who know they are sinners and know they need help before God. And sinners who don't acknowledge that they are sinners and don't think they need any help before God. This is what matters to God. This is the difference that matters to God. When Jesus says and does these things, we need to always remember that he is teaching us and showing us what God is like and what matters to God and what God wants from us. And what seems to matter to God more than anything else is whether in your heart you're willing to admit to being a sinner and needing help or whether you think you're pretty much okay as you are. Can you see here that your attitude of heart matters more than what you have done? Whether the things you have done are bad things or good things, they matter less to God than whether you are humble of heart, willing to admit in your heart that you have done wrong and you need God's help. The Pharisees didn't feel like anything was missing in them. They had a plan, they knew what to do. They were keeping the rules and that made them okay. They didn't need anything from God. But Levi knew that something was missing 
He knew that something was missing in him. He knew that this wasn't the life he really wanted anymore. And when he met Jesus, he started to realize that maybe Jesus could offer him what was missing. God doesn't want you to be self-sufficient. When we're self-sufficient, we cut ourselves off from him. He wants us to turn to him and say, God, I need your help. Jesus says to Levi, follow me. Levi's whole identity is there on his table in his tax booth. Coins, tax records, who owes what. This is who he is. It's all he's known. He's been as defined by the rules as the Pharisees say he is. But now Jesus is changing the rules. Now the rules are different. And it's outrageous. Levi leaves his old identity there on the table. And he gets up and leaves his booth for the last time. Levi becomes one of the 12 disciples. You might be thinking that you don't remember there being a Levi listed. That's because Levi was also known as Matthew. And that's how he was known as a disciple. Matthew, one of the 12, had been a tax collector, had been a post office boss, a Fujitsu boss, had been this man, Levi, who we've met today. I'm pretty sure that relationally that wasn't very easy for the group of disciples as they traveled around together with Jesus, coming to terms with that. I'm pretty sure that Levi didn't just overnight become a different, transformed man. But Jesus calls him to follow. And that movement out of his tax booth, that decision to hear and respond, is the start of something. It's the start of a process. It's the start of a process that redefines Levi's whole identity and how he sees himself. Jesus doesn't command him to change overnight. He doesn't command him to be perfect. That's not what he says. He says, follow me. He invites he invites him to follow. 
And the following implies learning. Come and learn about me. Learn about my ways. Follow me is the same invitation that he gave to Simon Peter and the others in Mark chapter 1 when he calls them from their fishing nets. Follow me is the eternal invitation. The call to follow me is a call to come and learn. The fact that they are an unfinished work in progress doesn't prevent them from being his disciples. It doesn't prevent Levi from becoming a disciple, becoming someone who follows and learns. It's the same call that he makes to us. The same invitation. Not to be perfect. Not to somehow make ourselves into what we think is the finished product, but just to follow. Follow me. Jesus reached out his hand to the most unlikely people and invited them to follow. And what qualifies Levi and Simon Peter and the rest is not how well they've kept the rules and met some religious criteria. It's their willingness to respond to the invitation. It's how they choose to respond. Righteousness, it seems, rightness with God, isn't based on passing a rules-based test. Apparently, it's based on our willingness to follow Jesus, obey him and learn from him. It is based on our attitude of heart. And I wonder if there are places where your attitude of heart gets in the way. Where does your attitude of heart need challenging today? Towards yourself, towards God, towards other people. I wonder if there are rules that define you, rules that you've actually devised for yourself or that have been given to you by other people. The relationship Jesus wants to have with you is not governed by those rules. I said at the beginning that what Jesus is about here and what we need to understand is about challenging assumptions, preconceptions, misconceptions about God. And the thing about misconceptions is that we're not usually aware of them. We don't know they're there. 
We're not aware of them until they're challenged. I wonder what legalistic things might be lurking in your own perception of God that you're not even consciously aware of, maybe. Maybe you feel like there's a certain way that praying should be done and because you can't do it like that, you just don't do it at all because that's easier than trying and failing according to the rules you've set yourself. But what if Jesus' rules about failure are not the same as yours? Do you sometimes feel like God won't want to hear from you today because you've messed up or failed? And according to your rules, that means you don't qualify for his welcome today. But what if Jesus' rules are not the same as yours? Do you feel like he's sitting there constantly waiting for you to trip up or to catch you out on something that is less than perfect? Because according to your rules, things do have to be a certain way or you just won't be acceptable. But what if Jesus' rule book is not the same as yours? What kind of God do you believe in? What does Levi's story tell us about God? What fresh look do you need to take at some of your subconscious assumptions? Jesus always valued attitude of heart above rules. Jesus always accepted a beginning, a first step, as enough for today. This story of Levi is really important. Why don't you go home and read it again for yourself? Maybe listen again and ponder for yourself. Try to work out why This story is important for you today. Where do you need to challenge your own thinking? Where is God wanting to prod you and say, come on, you need to get beyond that kind of thinking? Come on this journey with us through Mark and be prepared to have your thinking challenged. Be prepared to see with fresh eyes. Let's take a moment of quiet and then I'll pray.
Jesus, we need you to give us fresh eyes as we make this journey through Mark. Will you unveil our eyes? Help us to see so that we can see you as you truly are, not how we have shaped you or imagined you to be. Give us courage to be changed by what we find here. Amen. We're going to sing now the song of sinners. The sinner's song, the song of Levi and of every person who's been set free from the identity that they used to have. Who am I that the highest king would welcome me? Who the sun sets free is free indeed. Let's stand and sing.